It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Crunch Time Plays. We're continuing our spring football previews today. We've already hit on Florida and, and Coastal Carolina, a couple teams that we've hit on already. And today we're hitting on Georgia. Guy that breaks down a lot of film for Dogs Daily, does an incredible job, and that's Brooks Austin. Brooks, what's up, man? I'm doing well, my man. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good and, and just starting to get used to this warmer weather and that starting that piling starting to come out. Oof. It's 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 tough, especially down here in Georgia, man. Uh, you know, springtime comes around, you got to get out there and cut your lawn for the first time in about four or five months, it feels like, and you just get absolutely wrecked. If you've got any type of allergies, any type of pollen, uh, you know, allergies to you. So that's where I'm at right now. If I sound super nasally, I'm not normally like this, but uh, but today I am. So I'm fighting through, playing a little injured, uh, but, you know, having a good time with it. Appreciate you for having me, Bennett. You're welcome, man. And we're dealing with the same thing here in, in South Carolina, a couple of Southeast uh, boys here. So so we're uh, we're hanging in there for the warm weather and piling. But I wanted to start off with you by asking a, a Kirby. I got a Kirby smart question for you to ask you about this to begin with. We hear a lot of times from fans talking about how he – Maybe Mark Rick 2.0. I know a lot of a lot of guys talk about, you know, why Mark Rick got fired at Georgia. One of the reasons is he couldn't win a national championship. Kirby's taking the team to the playoff. He's had a lot of opportunities, and and Alabama edged him out there in Atlanta. But but what have you seen from Kirby in, in taking over that program from Mark Rick? And and is there any merit to that talk that you hear from fans and all that? No, I, th- I think it's uh, pretty much overblown. I think a lot of the these ESPN graphics departments have been the the main reason for this. Uh, you see, from fifty two and fourteen and fifty two and thirteen uh, through their first five years, and it's it's easy to say, oh, he's Mark Rick two point It's it can't be any further from the truth. In all honesty, if you if you were a Georgia fan or if you were someone who watched Georgia football during Mark Rick's era, you would have noticed that as his you know tenure went on at Georgia. Saw a lot more personal fouls, saw a lot more off or, you know, false start penalties, saw a lot more silly, uh, you know, kind of not necessarily rest, but silly goofball mistakes that they're making. Just a lack of discipline almost from a program standpoint. Um, whereas as soon as Kirby took over, it was much more of a streamlined operation. No leaks, um, no, not, not a whole lot of trouble, um, not a lot of mental mistakes on Saturdays during football games. Um, just a much more professionally ran organization, whereas, you know, during Mark Rick's era, it might have been more of a morally ran uh, organization, right? Where we're all about making good men and, 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 and which is great, right? Right, right. Being a great person, being a good Christian man. It's all great stuff about Mark Rick. But the difference with Kirby Smart taking over is, like I said, it's just much more of a professionally ran organization. They, they stack their roster. They handle roster management like an NFL organization, whether it be the transfer portal or whether it be, you know, how they go about recruiting and how much time and investment they spend in recruiting. So just a lot different. I I told this story the other day, the day Kirby Smart, and I know you're in South Carolina and your audience may be up there, so they may not know this, but there was a game in 2015, I believe it was, or 2014, one of Mark Rick's last years, he lost to Georgia Tech at home, uh, you know, inside Sanford Stadium. And in the fourth quarter, I can't remember the exact situation, but I think Georgia goes up two. And with about 26 seconds left, other team has no timeouts. They decide it's a good opportunity now to kick a squib kick, which makes no sense. You should always kick it out of the back of the end zone at that opportunity, make them drive the length of the, of the field, especially if they're a triple option football team. 
Well, instead, he goes with a squib kick. They, you know, end up getting the ball to about the 50-yard line right before the clock's expiring. Tech's running all kinds of people onto the field to try to kick a field goal, and the the game, the play clock's about to run out. They're about to get a delay of game penalty to push a, uh, push a 52-yard field goal to a 57-yard field goal. Well, Mark Rick's standing on the sidelines doing God knows what, maybe not necessarily paying attention to the situation. He calls a timeout thinking he's icing the kicker from Georgia Tech. Little does he know he's actually protecting Georgia Tech from a uh, you know delay of game call that would have pushed it to a 57-yard field goal. Harrison Bucker makes it by, I mean, the just tip of, you know, a, a hair link for a 52-yard field goal wins the game. Uh, you know, I actually think sends it in overtime. They win it in overtime. I, I tell you that story to tell you this. The day Mar- or Kirby Smart is making silly mental error mistakes like that and game management mistakes like that, those are the points in time where you can look at me and say, hey, look, Georgia's leading the SEC in penalties. They're leading the SEC in personal foul penalties. And they're making silly time management decisions like this at the end of the games. And once every four years, you're due for an eight and five, seven and six season. At, at those point in times, are, are we allowed to sit here and say, okay, Kirby Smart's Mark Rick 2.0? Until then, I don't really want to hear it, man. I think it's just too easy to sit there and say things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I, I actually remember that game well. I remember uh, sitting on, I was on my couch just watching that game and I, what the heck is he doing? Like, yeah. And then, but I, I agree with you. I know Kirby takes that Nick Saban approach. He Nick Saban disciple, professionally run NFL organizations. Uh, I'm personally a big fan of that. I think that does a, a great job. And moving on to this year, the spring practice, I know there have been a lot of injuries, but specifically with the George Pickens injury is the most notable. What do you what do you what can you tell us about that injury specifically? I'm I know I'm not I'm not a medical expert by any means, but it seems like whenever you do have those ACL type injuries, there tends to be more ligament damage or bone damage that takes place. But it, it seems like from everything I've seen that it's just a straight ACL tear. Yeah. Is that is that the way you know it? Uh, according to the people I talked to, yeah, it's a it's a straight tear of the ACL ligament in general. And, and what Bennett's talking about here is when any ligament tears, typically, if the ligament tears nine times out of ten, it ends up chipping something off the bone, right? If you tear a ligament, you're off, oftentimes pulling it away from something. Well, when you pull it away from something, that that attachment point where that ligament meets that bone tissue or bone marrow typically pulls off of that that kneecap. That didn't happen in this situation, from my understanding. It was a strict ACL tear, which kind of, I mean, it helps out in terms of recovery process, the rehab process. Even the surgery is much less intrusive and uh, much more clean cut. They just go in there, scope it, clean it, get it in and out, uh, you know, re- or reattach the ligament and move on. So as opposed to a full like 12 month or 10 to 12 month recovery process, this is more of an eight to 10 month recovery process, which if you're looking at it, he tore it beginning of what, whether we're in March right now, beginning of April. He tore end of March, beginning of April. So best case scenario, you're looking at late November, early December of a return table for George if that is the case. That's something that he wants to do, which only George is going to be able to answer that question. Whether or not he wants to play this season, there are opportunities for him to do that. Whether it's, you know, at best case scenario, an SC championship game or, you know, super, super best case scenario, playing in a playoff game or playing in a national title game. I think those are the situations and only the situations or you might see number one, make it back onto the field. Uh, but in terms of just, I, I'm sure the follow-up question is how, how do you, how do you replace somebody like that throughout the regular season and throughout a pretty tough regular season schedule this year? And I've, I've said it this way throughout the week and even during one of my film breakdowns, 
I don't think you can go into this season saying, oh, well, who's going to replace George? What, which singular player is going to replace George? Because there's not one of those guys. There's not a guy that provides everything George does. So you have to compartmentalize what George does and find a guy for each one of those you know, specific traits. Whereas, hey, we've got what I call a bailout guy for JT Daniels, right? Where if JT's getting pressure or if he's flushed from the pocket, oftentimes last year during the last four games, it was, well, let me just throw it up to number one or in his general vicinity. We'll see if he can come down with it or we'll see if he can draw some type of pass interference or something. A bailout guy. So you got to find one of those guys. I think the best opportunity for that would be a guy like Justin Robinson or a guy like Mark, Marcus or Jack Saint when he gets back healthy, right? Two guys about that 6'3", 6'4", range, 205, up to 225 pounds if you're Justin Robinson. In that case, great 50-50 ball guys. Go up and go grab it. Well, you also got to find a guy to, to increase your target share, right? You just lost a guy that was in George that was going to get 75 to 100 targets this year. So now you got to occupy that with people like Jermaine Burton. Karis Jackson now gets more touches. Demetrius Robinson now gets in there and gets a, a few more touches. So it's all about compartmentalizing what George does, okay, and then going out there and making that happen. The only thing I don't think you're going to be able to replicate, Bennett, is the coverage dictation from the uh, the opposition, right? When 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 George when teams when Georgia played teams last year and even partially towards the end of the year the year before. Wherever number one was, that's where safeties were rotating. Wherever number one was, that's where bracket coverage was going to go. Wherever number one was, if I drop straight back into my, you know, my my drop as a quarterback, and I'm holding my eyes right, well, even while I'm holding my eyes right, if George is off to the left, the safety's going to sneak back to the left. He's worried about number one. So I think a guy that might dictate coverage a little bit this year is a guy like Arian Smith, right? Where he's so damn fast that he's going to line up in the slot. And safeties are going to take three steps back because they just don't want to get cooked and burnt over the top. So it's all about finding what George does, the areas that he's great at, and finding a guy to slide in there left and right and get in there and figure it out. One of the things that I know people, we talk about it all the time, is especially in the SEC when there's so much competition, but just around college football, number one receivers, they get bracketed, they get safeties shaded over to their side. And I I agree with you on Arian Smith. I had a chance to to watch the game live in Williams-Brice Stadium when they played South Carolina back in November, and he's a guy that can really take the top off the defense. He kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of a just looking at last year, just like an Anthony Schwartz type of guy at Auburn. Or or even if you want to go back into Todd Munkin's history as an offensive coordinator, how about Deshaun Jackson during his time in Tampa? I mean, Deshaun Jackson was almost a decade in in the NFL at that point when he got to Tampa playing with Todd or playing under Todd Munkin. And all of a sudden, he's got a career high in yards per reception. I think he averaged almost 20 yards per reception. So we're, we're talking nothing but explosives. And I think he's going to do the same thing uh, with Deshaun. And if you're a Georgia fan listening to this, think about the way in which Jeremy Pruitt – or not Jeremy Pruitt, excuse me, Jim Chaney used Nicole Hardman during his time, right? whole bunch of seam shots, whole bunch of seam verticals and things like that. Uh, maybe some jet sweeps mixed in there every once in a while. Things like that, just getting the guy the ball in his hands in open space allowing him to make plays with his legs. I think that's what you're going to see a lot from Arian this year. One of the things people talk about in the SEC of being a line of scrimmage league, being able to run the football, Georgia's always been known as as an RBU with, with Chubb, Michelle, Gurley, and those guys. And they obviously have two great ones now in, in Zamir White and, and James Cook. But what have you seen from them in the spring? And I know there's a couple other guys backing them up as well that can have, have strong potential. But what have you seen from that offensive line group and that running back group so far? Yeah. 
I mean, it's pretty hard to see here. And I mean, I am an insider. I do have inside information, but with the way in which, you know, Kirby runs that program like Alabama does, it is a very closed uh, or a closed practice situation everywhere you go. Even the scrimmages that they have on the weekends, they're only really allowing family there and maybe some donors and some sponsors and stuff like that. So um, not a whole lot of information. I'm not there firsthand, but I can tell you that, you know, with Kenny McIntosh out with an elbow injury, I think he dislocated his elbow. First day they went in in pads. Um, so with him out, with James Cook and Zamir White being, you know, elder statesmen, not needing a whole lot of carries this spring, to be honest with you. They're getting work, but the bell cow this this spring, the guy who's been getting a lot of run and a lot of work is Kendall Milton, and he's been as impressive as we ever thought he was going to be. Out of high school, I compared him to Le'Veon Bell, um, just with the way in which he runs and his patience and stuff like that. As he gets older, as he gets bigger, I mean, he's already bigger and faster and stronger at this point than Le'Veon Bell even was. Uh, especially in college, maybe even during his prime in the NFL. So now the the comps kind of changed for me. It's it's moved more towards a, a Najee Harris type of comparison, but for the same exact reasons. These are guys in like Le'Veon Bell and Najee Harris that have made their money being patient and having great vision while also having power and, and you know, elusiveness in open field. I think that's exactly what Kendall brings to the table. I'm excited to see what number two is going to do this year. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get. I don't know if he's going to get 15 or 20 touches per game just because there's so many mouths to feed in that backfield. But if he's not getting double-digit touches, I'm going to be personally offended because I wanted to see it happen this year. I think he's the best all-around back in that Georgia backfield. Um, Now, whether or not they play him as such with two senior running backs returning to Georgia uh, for one more year, I don't know. I hope they do. But then again, if they don't, I can understand as to why. How important is the uh, is the kind of the, I know Todd Monk is known for the, the screen game. He, he did a lot of that with the Browns when he had uh, Kareem yeah. Hunt and some of those guys. But with, with specifically with the Pickens injury, and then teams probably wanting to blitz JT Daniels more. He's pretty mobile in the pocket. He's not the fleetest of foot outside of the pocket. But yeah. What What have you seen from the the spring game or the screen game? Just breaking down the film yeah. and seeing what that's going to look like this year. So I, I thought, you know, with the combination of both Matt Luke and Todd Muckin coming in and having their first full season in 2020, you saw them try to do those things, right? They were, they were trying to run a lot of, you know, outside zone, pin and pull stuff that requires offensive linemen to move, screen passes, tunnel screens, things like that, stuff that requires offensive linemen to move. The only problem was Trey Hill came into college to run inside zone and power. He didn't come into college – to run screen games and outside zone and, and run toss sweeps. Same thing for Ben Cleveland. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody saw that four, nine, five or whatever he ran at the, at the pro day and was like, wow, Ben's a great athlete. Ben's a great straight line athlete. Ben is not a great side to side athlete. Um, and that, and that was portrayed in his five, 10, five as well at his pro day. So that's what I saw last year from Georgia. I saw a commitment to the screen game. They were trying. That doesn't mean they were succeeding. They were trying. Um, but, as you mentioned, I mean, in Munkin's history, and especially Luke's history, he's a screen guy. I mean, you're going to have to replace some of that explosive nature from George with some of those easy targets, right? Just running George on a slant, throwing him the ball. You have to replace some of those easy targets and easy yardage, six, seven, eight yards, with the screen game. And if you go all the way back to Southern Miss, man, with Edo Smith and Jalen Richard as Southern Miss under Todd Munkin, those two dudes are in the NFL now because of what they can do out of the backfield, because of what they displayed in college at Southern Miss under Munkin. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're going to see a lot more of a, sp- a screen game this year. Whether or not they execute it much better, that's still yet to be determined, but there's going to be a commitment to it. 
just in terms of how many resources and how many times they call it during a game. Finish. One of the things I think about whenever I think about offensive coordinators, whether it be Todd Muckin or somebody else's, is how predictable are you? I know when I think about just in watching – just watching South Carolina in 2019, Brian McClendon, he debuts the pin and pull uh, against Florida. And then five games later, that's still what he's running and, and teams are adjusting. The film's going to be out on you. What, what's yeah. a good What's a good balance, do you think? I know there's a lot of packages for guys specifically like yeah. J- James Cook. He's a more, you know, receiving type of back. Is there, is there certain yeah. packages that you go to or to, what's the balance there? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say – I wouldn't say there's certain packages, right? But it's it's more of a great offensive coordinators. They change week in and week out. Like if you watch New England over the years, when when Tom was there and working with, uh, you know that that offensive coordinator staff up there, they were different week in and week out. I think that's the same thing you're going to see from Georgia. I think you even saw it last year, particularly in the run game, right? Against Arkansas, they opened up, had a lot of missed assignments, like literally guys just running through holes wide open because offensive linemen weren't in the correct spot. They hadn't picked up the playbook completely at that point. So you saw them come home in week two against Auburn and they ran a very, very basic day one install rushing attack. I mean, it was, we're going to run right at you and we're going to push you off the ball. And we're going to win the point of attack today, doing it this way. Okay. So they went real basic at, at Auburn after a week one where they blew a bunch of assignments week three against Tennessee. They introduced counter a little bit. They were like, Hey, we want to run counter sport. Well, they were awful, awful, awful running counter against Tennessee. It looked terrible. So didn't look good, but they consistently ran it. They were making an effort to run it. Well, against Alabama, they ran counter really, really well the very next week. So what I'm t- what I'm trying to tell you, Bennett, is that with Georgia's staff, what I saw on film, I saw a concerted effort to try something one week, get better at it the next, and then reinvent yourself the very next week. That's what I saw. I saw, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll introduce everything week one, didn't get it ran, whole bunch of missed assignments. Week two, back to the basics. Week three, We'll introduce counter week four. We're terrible at counter week three, but we got better at it week four. And then week five, they mixed in pin and pull, started getting to the outside a little bit too. So I see a a consistent progression from this coaching staff and a a consistent adjustment from this coaching staff. And that, the the progression and the adjustment week in and week out uh, keeps you from being predictable uh, and, and having tendencies is what you're hitting at. Definitely being able to adapt. I mean, we see it with, with Coach Saban, how he's adapted, you know, over the years, becoming more of a, you know, college football was used to be a defensive uh, game, and now it's a lot more offensive. And what what to ask you your thoughts on, on Matt Luke's the last thing I got for you on the offensive side of the ball before we move to the defense. But do you think he wants to be a head coach again? Do you think he will be? I know a lot of people were up for that Ole Miss job, but, you know, yeah, they hire Lane Kiffin. I, you know, I, I thought Matt Luke had a, had a good chance to get that job a uh, full time. But do you do you expect him to be a head coach again? I think Georgia's got a handful of guys you got to really really worry about on that staff in terms of heading off for 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 maybe bigger opportunities. You know, Dan Lanning wants to be a head coach at some point. Um, wh- whether or not Todd Munkin wants to get back into being a head coach, you, you just don't know. That guy's never spent more than three or four years at a single program, so. I wouldn't be banking on him to be here for forever. Uh, Jamil Adai, the new defensive backs coach, man, he just might be the hottest young, uh, you know, defensive-minded fo- uh, football coach in college football right now. That dude's resume, he he is a skyrocket right now. He is a stock you want to buy. Um, Glenn Schumann is a guy that I, I think – I'm shocked Georgia's even been able to hold on to him as long as they have, um, especially as, as kind of a background role that he's got. I know he's the inside backers coach at this point now, um, but – 
that dude's that dude's a wicked genius, like like crazy, crazy smart. Uh, Kirby actually takes Glenn Schumann of all people with him to his coaching clinics and just lets Glenn kind of run the coaching clinic after Kirby does the 15 minute intro and just lets Glenn take over. So those are names. I think when you're at Georgia and, and you win 11 or 12 games a year, you're in a national title contention and, and you stack your staff with young studs like Kirby does year in and year out, you should not only worry, but you should prepare yourself to have to replace staff members. It has been consistent since he's been there. 17, 18, 19, and 20, they've had somebody pulled off their staff, whether it's, um, you know, the tight ends coach that's now at South Carolina, um, Beamer, Shane Beamer. He was at Georgia just a couple of years ago yep. as a as a tight ends coach. Oklahoma gave him a pay raise. He goes out there to Oklahoma. Now he's the head coach of South Carolina. Uh, Sam Pittman pulled off that staff as an, as an offensive line coach. Hadn't coached as a head coach since junior college ball back in the 90s. He's now the head coach in Arkansas. So, um, you know, Charlton Warren this offseason got pulled to be a defense coordinator up there at Indiana. It's going to happen at the University of Georgia if you're playing as well as you should be um, in terms of guys pulling off coaches off your staff. So whether or not Luke's a head coach anytime soon, I don't know. But I'm just telling you that they're, they're going to lose staff members year in and year out, picking and, and trying to predict which one's going to be as a loser proposition. Hey, there's no doubt about that. And switching over to the defensive side of the ball, who are some of the, the breakout players that you're possibly looking for uh, in the fall? You know, you got to you starting out with Clemson. It's going to start out, start out hot for Georgia. And then for people that may not know about the analyst role, I know Kirby Smart just hired Will Muschamp as yeah, defensive yeah. analyst. For people that may not be as familiar with an analyst role, just kind of describe that and how valuable can a longtime defensive coach like that be to Kirby at Georgia? I mean, especially when you when you got a guy like Muschamp who's made his way in the SEC in southeastern football, he knows tendencies and he knows uh, you know the the goal and the mo of all of these football teams. And you know, especially as a former head coach, it's another guy we didn't even mention. He's going to get pulled off that Georgia staff eventually, whether or not it's him going from an analyst role to a DC if Lanning leaves, and then from a DC role to another head coaching opportunity. I would imagine he tries to get back into the coaching ranks at some point, um, but no. As, as an analyst, he's just another ear. He's another guy to bounce ideas off of and listen to if you're Kirby Smart. Uh, but, you know, outside of Muschamp, I think what you've seen at most of these big programs is they have bolstered their analyst role, their analyst department, because of what offenses specifically are doing on the other side of the football. There's so much personnel matching going on nowadays. Been in college football where, if, you know, the opposition runs two tight ends onto the field. Well, the referee stands on top of the ball and makes sure the defense has an opportunity to sub. Well, that's what those analysts are up there in the box for. They got a big pair of binoculars. They're studying who's running on and off the field from the opposition, and they're countermatching with their personnel. So that's, to me, what analysts are mostly used for. But when you got a former head coach like a Muschamp, it's just an additional DC in there watching practice every day, giving you an opportunity uh, to, to listen to a new voice and, and to hear some different uh, – you know, perspectives about what's going on on the field. So just another really smart football coach uh, and a really good football coach. So Georgia added on to their staff for 350 grand or something like that. And he gets to be around his nephew and his son and, and all kinds of different stuff. It's a, it's a Muschamp-led uh, staff. I think they got three analysts that c carry the last name Muschamp, and they got a, a walk-on backup quarterback that carries the last name Muschamp. So that's what happens when you're Kirby's buddy. I mean, they, they've been buddies since the late, the early, late 90s. Uh, early thousands when they got their both got their start at Valdosta State. Funny story, uh, you know, Will Muschamp was actually Kirby Smart's technically his boss during Kirby's first job as a position coach. 
Kirby's first job as an official job, a full-time job as a position coach, was at Valdosta State in the early 2000s, and Will Muschamp was his defensive coordinator. Now, 20 years later, Muschamp comes to Athens as an analyst to work underneath Kirby Smart. So they've really come full circle, and they've been best friends for two and a half decades at this point. So just another buddy in the room and, and another really, really smart football mind. Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a fam, family atmosphere there. And and yeah. la- last thing I got for you, take it, kind of taking a drive around the, the SEC East, and they, it's pretty much Georgia and everybody else. Florida's going to be down a little bit. Who are who who are some of the teams that, um, I mean, you know, South Carolina's in year one under Shane Beamer. Tennessee's got the dark cloud of looming over them. Do you anticipate maybe a team like Kentucky or Missouri of kind of sneaking in and taking that second place spot in the East. I know Mark. You know, I, I was going to go ahead and say, man, I, I've been drinking Mark Stoops Kool-Aid for like the last five or six years, every year going into the season. I'm like, God dang it. This is the one, man. This is the one Kentucky's it's it, man. They, they, they got a good defense. You know, they're going to play good defense. They're going to run the football. They're going to protect the ball. We got them. This, this is the year I'm riding Kentucky. I'm done. Uh, I am done. I'm done buying stock on Mark Stoops until he proves me wrong. Um, so this year I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just holding water on, on Kentucky, but I do look like what Eli Drinkwitz is doing up there at Missouri. I mean, it took over not a terrible roster, not a terrible situation up there in Mizzou, but to be a first year coach in the SEC, you have to play an all SEC schedule. And I think he won four or five games last year in an all SEC schedule. To me, that's that's really, really impressive. I think they knocked off LSU. Um, it had some real key wins and and won the games they were supposed to and, and lost the games they were supposed to, but by a, a close margin. I think they played Alabama closer than maybe even Georgia did. I think they they kept Alabama within like 16, 17 points. Granted, a lot of that was against, you know, the second and third teamers during, during the second half. But I was impressed with what Drinkwitz did. And I think he's got, if you look at the SEC East, he's got one of the very few known commodities at the quarterback position. I like what Blaze Lack did last year as a freshman. Um and to see him in his second year in this offense, I I think I should be you should be pretty impressed with what's going on in the field up there with the Missouri Tigers. So if you had to look at the SEC East, that's where I would look. I'm 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 really interested to see what Florida does this year because when you've got a head coach that refuses not only doesn't recruit but borderline refuses to recruit high school players at an elite level that's years three and four are really like your eye-opening experiences when your Kyle Pitts of the world leave, when your Kadarius Tonys of the world leave, when your Trayvon Grimes of the world leaves, Kyle Trask, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball too, those guys all leave. Well, now that you didn't recruit any of those football players, first of all, they weren't yours. You inherited them and now they're gone. And what have you done over the last three years other than sit on your hands and recruit at a meddling level? Well, now you have meddling players. And if you have meddling players, I don't care how good your offensive coordinator is or how good your head coach is offensively. Now, now we don't know. Now we got a whole bunch of questions. So Florida could be 10 and two this year, or they could be eight and four. And I would not be surprised either way to be a hundred percent honest with you. So um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Georgia's kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the SEC East at this point for Kirby smart in Georgia. It's about avoiding 2019 South Carolina. It's about avoiding 2018 LSU. It's about avoiding 2017 Auburn. These games were just all of a sudden Georgia shows up and lays an egg. You can't have that in 2021. Yeah, I mean, there's 
And I'm I'm curious about Dan Mullen too, just like you. I mean, there there's rumors about him in the NFL. He he's got. I think NFL. those were I think those were planted by Mr. Mullen. To be honest with you, I think Mullen really really wants to be out of college football. I think if you gave him the opportunity to uh, you know take an OC job right now, if if if, if I, I wouldn't be surprised if Urban Meyer called him and said, "Hey, come be the OC at Jacksonville. We'll pay you what Florida's paying." I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him just up and leave. To be honest with you, I think a lot of those uh, Dan Mullen to the NFL rumors, they they were started and cultivated uh, by Dan Mullen and his agent, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And, and it, you know, he's he, he you know, he doesn't like to recruit. He's got kind of a brash personality. He he just likes to to be all ball and all game planning. And, and I agree with you on Missouri. I mean, I really like watching Connor Bazelight play. He's really he, – I'm really curious to see what kind of steps – he takes this year, but, but awesome stuff today, Brooks. Thank you so much for, for coming on with me. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. And, and, you know, you got a YouTube channel as well, where you're breaking down film and, and this is your opportunity to, to plug anything else you want to as well. Yeah, we, we, we got quite a lot of content getting produced. So uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Brooks Austin SI over there. You'll find my Patreon uh, subscription. If, if you're a Georgia fan, wants to know about some X's nose and get some inside Intel. I think I dropped three or four, like pages worth of scrimmage notes this morning. So that's patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin. Uh, you can check me out over there. Uh, YouTube, of course, as well at Brooks Austin over there on YouTube. Uh, and if you, if you're a reader, if you like to read, don't like to listen and watch videos. If you like to read, check out dogsdaily.com. It's where you can check out all of our articles. Of course, that is sportsillustrated.com affiliated. I appreciate you, Bennett. Uh, you're welcome. And, and thanks. Thanks so much to you, Brooks. And hope you stay safe and well. And we'll talk to you soon. No doubt, brother. Good luck with these allergies, man. I'm going to go sneeze about four times since I've been holding them in for about 20 minutes. (laughs) You got it. See ya. See ya, brother. All right. That's Brooks Austin from Dogs Daily. Make sure to check him out. Check out dogsdaily.com. Check out his YouTube channel, Patreon subscription. Brooks just does an incredible job. One of the best at breaking down film and does it for the Georgia Bulldogs. So if you're a Georgia fan, Brooks is the way to go. If you're not a Georgia fan and want to know a lot more about the Bulldogs, make sure to check out Brooks as well. Check out dogsdailysi.com affiliate there. And thanks so much to you for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All the episodes are coming to YouTube here soon. We've got a new intro and outro coming. Really exciting stuff going on. So make sure you check us out. This has been another edition of Crunch Time Plays with one of the best. Breaking down film, Brooks Austin from Dogs Daily. God bless everybody. 